Hello, product innovators. Today we learn from the past nationwide head of Sony stores on how hardware startups can best present their products physically in the stores of big retailers. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Blair Severn to the show. Blair worked for four years as the national manager for Sony stores. He managed not just marketing, but also how to best drive product sales in those stores. Before that, he worked for years doing a similar thing at consumer gas appliance stores. He really knows in-store product sales. Today, Blair's going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can think about how to best design and promote your product to be able to beat the competition and sell more units after successfully getting into those retail store chains. And a lot of this is applicable to online sales too. Now, on to the episode. Blair, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much, Kevin. Real pleasure to be here with you today. Well, we're looking forward to it today. Um, I understand now we're kind of getting to the end of, of COVID, but uh, your entire organization took a major pivot from being very much in person to very much remote. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, as, a, as the type of uh, work that we do, is very much an in-person uh, integrative uh, experience with, with our clients. And uh, of course, it's not just the obvious, uh, you know, Zoom meetings and things like that, but we really had to to pivot how we even presented our offering. So uh, you know, our web portal became reinvented. Some of the uh, activities and services that we offer became reinvented on how they could be accessed uh, online. So yeah, it was a, it was a you know we're in the business of reengineering, and we had to self reengineer. <laughs> right. No, that's great, and it worked out for you. And uh, you know that's great to hear because it's always you know it's a difficult time making the decision. Really, put the effort and the time into changing the way you do things, um, but you had to adapt, and you were one of the front runners to do it, and uh, and it all worked out. So yeah. excited to talk about how that also all applies to your your history working both for the Sony store and Consumer Gas uh, for the consumer appliances. Um, very cool history. Why don't you just tell the audience about uh, what you involved with and what you're doing and how that related to designing stores and working with hardware products to best present them to customers. And we'll get into the best best tips from there. Sure. Ha- happy to. Well, um, back in the day, uh, I was originally, I guess, recruited to both those companies to help uh, grow the business. Uh, They were both um, stagnating businesses. They were both uh, unprofitable, even though they were in millions of dollars of volume. And it came down to really, how did we reinvent how the products were being experienced and purchased at the store? Because, you know, obviously that's what's generating the volume. So we quickly learned it wasn't just about marketing the business, even though I was in in a marketing function, it was about redesigning how, hardware was experienced in the store. So ultimately it improved the volume. So that involved store concept design, it involved communications design, it involved merchandising, it involved, you know, uh, display uh, research and how people prefer to experience products in stores. So it was a whole host of, uh, of elements that all had to come together for this engine of hardware to get sold. 
And this is really valuable stuff to hardware startups because first, first off, most hardware companies today, you know, they still have the dream of eventually being sold in the big box retailers. Um, even if they're doing the direct to sales, the Kickstarter, the Amazon, all these sort of methods, which are obviously growing substantially in popularity, there's still always that that massive engine, which is big box retailers, the Best Buys, the Walmarts, et cetera, of the world to move serious volume. And uh, you know, your work at the Sony store was is a testament to that. I really am interested to hear your nuggets to how to best present to sell, because I also think that if hardware companies understand what really um, gets a consumer to be captivated and then to make a purchasing decision in stores, it'll also help hardware startups learn how to best present that information online from those best practices. But as a scale online to consider how they can start selling to stores. And then once they actually get those deals, or at least when they're in the conversations with those retail stores, how do they ensure that their product is being presented properly so that they can maximize their sales in the stores? So let's kick it off. Um, you've got five tips here that uh, you and I kind of talked about before the show. Uh, let's just go in order from, from one to five, um, and then we'll, we'll break them down as we go through. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, well, the first tip that I would say to any startup company, even at the product design stage, is learn how retail works. Learn how stores are designed to influence the consumer to buy. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it, it, no matter what great product you have, if it's not getting taken off the shelves or it's not getting put in the shopping cart, it won't really matter how great the product is. So as part of your design process, the product needs to be the design of product experience and the selling of that product. So, you know, a couple things just that um, people don't really think about maybe when they're designing a product up front, but it's really, really helpful if you do is what is your product in the purchase experience? Is it a intent-based purchase or is an add-on purchase. So what I mean by that is if you are the television, you might be the intent-based purchase. If you're the speaker bar, you're an add-on purchase. So that is a very different design connotation uh, for what retailers are going to do with that product. So just a little bit about how stores work. So retailers design stores for traffic flow. And for traffic flow, they actually will channel you through the store the way they want you to shop the store, whether you realize it or not. And, you know, we maybe know Ikea is a master example of that. Uh, you have to, you, you can't get out of that store unless you follow their channel. And they do that on purpose because they know every experience adds to the element of your likelihood to buy an additional product. Um, there's things that's called power nodes. And powered nodes are those best sightline positions. Uh, and they tend to be at eye level. They tend to be on an angle. And they also tend to be right in the store. Most people are right-handed. Most people travel right. These are the types of places that you want to get in the store. Uh, you want to be where they where those powered nodes. And, and the reason they're so powerful is that's where your product will be seen multiplied more than any other place in a store. Stores are, are, are highly stimulied environments with thousands of messages. You want to be where the message is strongest. And, and how you do that is you your product is either a high volume product for that company or it's a high margin product. If it's a low margin product, low, low volume, you're never getting into a power node position. 
Uh, so that's kind of important to know where your product fits in a store. And that also works online because it's going to be in the algorithm of whether your product gets offered up more or not, right? The high margin products get offered up more than the low margin products. That's a beautiful thing to home inventors. We've talked about this on the show as well, or startups, new hardware space. Like generally for all the clients, pretty much that, that work with Maco Design with us to develop their products, they're coming to us because they've got some kind of an innovation, some kind of value add, um, whether they're a primary product or, or an add-on product, there's something unique about them. And what we always tout is make sure that you have your margins baked in. If you're unique, you should be selling at a premium and that at least gets rid of one of the two variables that you mentioned, right? And, and I like the fact that you, you offered an either or, and ideally both, right? So you either have high margin or you have high volume, but ideally, if you've got a new invention, it's something that's hot, proprietary, something that people would prefer to have over the competition, you may have both. And that's the real um, holy grail on top is if you can get both high margin and high volume, that gives you a tremendous amount of negotiating position with the store to make sure you're in, as you mentioned, those no, those key eyesight node positions that you're you're going to amplify your sales with. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's actually a good segue into the second point. And, you know, Kevin, you'd probably know this better than I would even with the uh, design is um, a big important factor in whether it's online or whether it's in store and how somebody's going to choose you is the stronger motivator of the purchase decision will be emotion, hands down. Yeah. Um, logic may be why I'm shopping. Emotion will be what often makes the decision. And, you know, we see the emotional ir irrationality and emotion, you know, in every single category. I mean, the, the obvious one that I always like to use is why people pay, you know, twice as much for a polo shirt with a horse on it than one that doesn't, right? There's no, there's no rationalness to that. It's a complete emotional experience. And, you know, when I was at Sony, we learned this through research. So what was really interesting is we learned that we had a category of customers called Sony lovers. We, we named them. And they would be people that would pay a premium for our product because they wanted an experience with the company, not necessarily with the retailer that bought it. So this worked really well for our store channel that we owned because we were able to think about a premium price in our stores relative to other stores for the exact same product for the experience that we were giving them. And one of the things that is a really important message that I always tell, uh, you know, early stage um, product designers and startup companies is you're not just competing with other products, you're competing with yourself. So if you're thinking about designing one product as a retailer, we don't want your same product that you have in Walmart or you have in the other big box store. We want a slightly different version because we want the customer thinking that they can only get what you're offering through us. So if you're designing a product and you think you're going to design one and it's going to be on Amazon and it's going to be on Walmart and it's going to be in all the big box, chances are it's not because, uh, or, or it just becomes price competition, which goes against your earlier margin comment. So you need to actually be thinking about a series, even if it's the same product. The beauty about that too, is that you can, when you're starting to sell on your first channel, let's, let's assume you go through an Indiegogo or Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign, you sell your first thousand units you'll learn a lot. A tremendous amount of data will come back to you and what people loved, what people liked, and what people didn't like. And that gives you a great opportunity then to make small tweaks and adjustments to your design as you start talking directly to a major distribution channel 
like for instance, a Sony store. So if you're trying to get into, um, you know, whatever the retailer is, part of that conversation could be how you've tweaked or modified your product based on real user feedback and how you think it will be an ideal product for that particular retailer so that you can nail a lot of these things out in one shot. And the amazing thing is the retailers, a lot of the time, especially when you're in those conversations, and we've had, we've had buyers on the, sh- on the show before who said, look, if you're one of those folks who are open to work with us, we'll work with you. We'll give you candid feedback on what will sell in our store to our customers. And if you're actually proactive enough to take some of that feedback, incorporate it into a, you know, let's call it a staple, staples store only product that's perfect for their customer, you've now just amplified your probability that they're actually going to place a big order. And like you said, get you into the good spots that you really want to be in, in that store once, once you do so. Yeah, absolutely. And this is also a bit maybe counterintuitive, but we also encouraged hardware designers um, and hardware uh, manufacturers to provide us a model that we knew wouldn't sell as well, but would help sell the model we wanted to sell. And why that was uh, why that was useful in, in in particular if there is already a multi-model offering. Uh, what we learned, and we learned this quite extensively through uh, in-store just sales uh, results as well as as consumer research, is people don't like to give up features. So how we would always display the product is we would display what we learned through research, such as maybe this, you know, the original, um, you know, Kickstarter research or, or, you know, uh, maybe the first channel research that we were able to have access to. And we take the most popular model because we knew that's what people were coming in and looking for. Then we put a more expensive model beside it um, because you always want to have a comparative. Uh, People don't buy from one, people buy from a comparative. So you need something as a comparative. So if, if that popular one was high margin, we'd put a more expensive, less popular model against it to just encourage people to take that model. Now, if you had more than two, then you go down in price, down in feature. And the way the sales success worked was people don't go up in features. They go, they don't want to give up features. So what happened would be is we would always sell a model or two of higher price, higher margin by creating a display that went down in features because as you're walking a consumer through the model, you're going to go, well, this one's X amount less, but you're going to have to give this, this, this up. Well, I don't want to give that up. They end up buying the more expensive one. Right. And that ties into the emotional connection that you mentioned too, right? Once you've already hooked them in with that, that's a beautiful thing about your line too, especially as startups. A lot of the time you can't put all the features in, especially not for your first sales channel. So as you do, let's call it your MVP or your simple or your your your, your high value, very targeted version first. Um, and you learn from what features people want. Now you can make your pro version, your premium, your 2.0, et cetera. Now you can put them both potentially, like you were saying, side by side in the store and then further drive up sales just by having two units sitting there and by pushing a lot of people from your, let's say, original first version to your second version, even if they weren't originally coming in the store with the intent to pay either that price or to buy that more premium model. Yes, uh, absolutely. And it, it becomes really important when you think about um, the display aspect, kind of a, an, another tip I would I would ask people to consider that we know would really help add their volume is, and this ties into the whole emotional conversation, is 
Um, the tactile experience, the more senses you can engage with the consumer, and obviously online that's difficult because you know you, you you're you're in a in a two-dimensional format versus you know if you have the ability to add video or add experience or whatever the case may be. But in store, if you can give the consumer a, a, a multi-dimensional sensory experience with your product, uh, so it's not just visual. Maybe it's we can handle it. Maybe we can experience it. If we if it has to be kind of a package thing that you can experience, maybe there's a way we can add some kind of um, in integrative display. The uh, likelihood that they will take your product uh, out the door multiplies. The greater they experience the utility and the feel of the product versus just the intellectual look and features and, and design of the product uh, just multiplies the experience. So we would always, um, our best products, and one of the ways maybe to get a retailer to consider your, your product is to help them by investing in how the product's going to sell better on the floor. And that would be investing in designing the display activities along with designing the product. Yeah. Displays are key. That can, that can really help. Um, or even just how your product is displayed. And you know what? I think we, we've had some folks on the show that have talked about e-commerce marketing and Amazon marketing and whatnot. Um, and there's a very similar draw between both in-store and out-of-store. I think the key message here is provide as much experience or experiences as possible for your customers. If you're selling online, that means do as, like you mentioned, do as many videos or 3D tutorials or walkthroughs or whatever that you can, because the more that somebody engages, the more their mind connects with it, the more likely they are to buy. Of course, if you're doing it in the store, then you have this enhanced opportunity to, but you can have video, you could have a little screen displaying video, but you can also touch, feel, experience and do all the rest. That's really when you can start amplifying. So, you know, the key message is just think about when you're going to sell, no matter how you're going to sell, think, have I done everything I can do to immerse my customer in this product experience? And that may trickle all the way back to the design, making sure that you're designing your maybe one or two core key life-changing features right up front, very obvious, very transparent, both on the product and the packaging and the way it's displayed uh, all the way through to, you know, all these other tools and tricks that you can do to um, add additional touch factors basically to those customers. Well, I, I really love how you put it when you we were talking about life-changing experience. Obviously, you understand what you're talking about there in the sense of uh, I would I would validate your advice in the sense that um, designers, product designers, engineers, we're geeks about this stuff. We love this product. We we know it's better, we know why it's better, we understand it's better. But most of the consumers aren't us. Most of the consumers are want the experience with the product as opposed to the specifics of, of the technology behind the product. So what's really important in, in the uh, display is understand why the customer is buying it. Not what they're buying it for, but why are they buying it? How are they planning on integrating that in their life? And if you can show them life is better because of this, not because it has X amount of di different features or something slightly technologically advantaged something, but life is better and life's more meaningful and life's more, you know, there's more um, excitement with me and my friends and my family. Um, that's the way a display will capture people. But when you get into displays, the one thing I would add to that is don't do that in isolation of the retailer. 
Um, the, the one thing is this, I'm going to build this great display and all the retailers are going to take it. Um, you probably are going to, um, have invested a lot of money that won't be used well. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, even big manufacturers make this mistake. I had big manufacturers coming in all the time when I was responsible for what was going in our stores with these great, fantastic displays. And, you know, lots of money was spent, lots of experience was designed in, and we were turning them down all the time. And they're like, they were aghast at this. And I was like, no, well, what you're doing here is you're serving your purpose, you're not serving my purpose. Right. So understand that as much as the consumer is going to make the decision, you're not even getting to the consumer if you haven't sold the gatekeeper, which is the store. So the what does the store need for that display to do? Um, does it have the right footprint? Does it have the right color scheme? Does it have the right um, sort of structure for the way their store is designed? Knowing that you're not the only obligation, they're not going to put it in a display that is going to completely overrun another product that they're making lots of margin on. So you, if you involve the retailer and you make them part of the experience of what you're doing and you start out with, how is this win-win? How are we going to benefit your store as well as us? You have the propensity for your display to be um, embraced in the store and not just in a trial, but you know, through units across the country um, is, is Im immensely elevated. I love how you mentioned that about Again, working with the retailer, we talked about it before in terms of the the features that you're going to put on to make it somewhat tailored potentially to that retailer, to the, that section of retailer, to their demographic, but also working with them on how it's displayed, what your display is going to look like. One of the easiest things you can do is ask that question. And if they have something specific for you and you design around those parameters, your, your probability of succeeding, just getting it on the floor went way up. Oh, and absolutely. what what an easier way and what a way as well like you think about it as a startup early stage company every, we all have limited resources when it comes down to developing the product so you want to be laser focused in terms of what you're spending money on and how you're doing it and what what an easy way to do it than getting the actual gatekeeper themselves to direct you on exactly where you should spend the, the, that money obviously yeah. there's never any guarantees but again your probability is going way up and that can make a very powerful partnership um, especially you know as a startup you've got to push a little bit harder than their established relationships. And therefore, you may have to do a few extra things, be a little bit more customized, a little more white glove, hustle a little bit harder than maybe a customer that they have a long relationship with that they know well. So again, all of these things really help increase your odds, getting on the, on the floor and then expanding from them. So just as a quick overview of what we've talked to today, kind of the five things. Um, one is uh, know how your retailers display and merchandise in the stores. Um, figure out how to make your product capture that attention. Um, plan to take care of your in-store merchandising, understanding that uh, you know the store has their values and you have yours. You need to find alignment with them to make sure that they're going to place an order and then put it in a smart spot. Uh, four, when designing your displays, um, really collaborating with the retailer to understand how to get those displays out there. And then five, knowing what and why, no, understanding essentially your customer and why they're going to buy in that store. So if these five things, is there anything that you want to, to tell hardware startups to kind of wrap them all up in a bow? Um, and then, uh, then let's get to um, talking about what you do and how you work with uh, a lot of companies out there scaling and, and stuff in terms of their strategy. Uh, and then we'll say goodbye after that. Yeah, no, I think, I think you've covered that, that perfectly well. Uh, I mean, if, if, uh, if a company takes care of all those things, 
they're going to be well ahead of most of their competitors of the success of, of their product getting into the channels they want to get into. Amazing. So what are you involved with um, in terms of your your day-to-day? Talk a bit more about your business and how you're helping uh, a lot of these companies with uh, overall top-level strategy and such. Yeah, well, well basically, um, coming on that from that side of it as a buyer of professional services helping me do all these things, um, I, I started to, you know, they say necessity brings invention. And I started to see, you know, where a professional model uh, might be better served as I was a buyer of all these complexities that had to, had to come together. So uh, we formed a consultancy that that helps companies get started. They they help we help them get to the next level. We help them even become global on a notion of bringing collaborative disciplines together. And so what we do is is through a construct of of eighteen business design solution modules, uh, which each key building block uh, of of successful performing enterprise, we figured out how to um, essentially pull together all the elements to to create success to mobilize success. Um, a bit different than typical. Cons- something and you're doing the work, we integrated those two things into a harmonized process. So it's really about uh, inflating, figuring out and doing into mobilizing something. Oh, that's great. Where can uh, everybody find out uh, about the services to learn more, um, keep in touch with you, whatever else? Well, the, the best and simplest way is to go to our website. It's called enablingideas.com. Um, our name says what we do. And uh, all our contact information is there, uh, be it emails, phone numbers, however you want to get in touch with me. Um, happy to uh, happy to respond in whatever way you want to talk to me. And we'll put all those links in the show notes as well. Blair, thanks again for all your nuggets on the show of helping hardware startups understand what it takes to succeed in retail stores. Uh, lots to draw on that, uh, both in the physical stores and online as well. So much appreciated for all that uh, knowledge and advice and uh, appreciate you spending the time on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.